We are in the midst, actually we're in the end, of our End Times Church sermon series. And as I mentioned in the intro, at the end of this format of online services. And actually I did mention something in the intro that I, uh, I don't enjoy preaching to a phone. And that's true, I really don't. Um, but it's not just the phone I preach to. Actually when I'm preaching, some of you have asked just, you know, how do I do this and such. I don't envision the phone. I, I look into the camera, which is right there, obviously. And I do, as cliche maybe as it sounds, I envision every one of you that I usually see or saw on Sunday morning. I envision my wife. I always envision my wife when it comes to most things. She's, she's a pretty lady, what can you say? <laughs> but I envision my wife. I envision the people that encourage me. I envision the people that... I saw day Sunday after Sunday for the first year and a half of being here, and that's who I'm preaching to, not to my phone. And uh, if you ever want to teach online, that's my tip. That's my best tip. Look into the camera and don't envision a camera. Envision who you're teaching or preaching to. Envision someone you're speaking to, someone that you want to tell what you want to tell. And that's half the battle right there. So, I waited until the last day to spill some of my secrets. I won't spill all of them. i got to retain some just in case, you know, we ever do this again or oh, not COVID, hopefully. Anyway, we are continuing our series uh, to its conclusion today on the End Times Church. And where we have been the last couple weeks is a, a premise around a question which is so far unasked. And the question that we have asked is what kind of church are we to be in the end times? Now, there's a couple things that I want to review just real quick. We define the end times as Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 does, which is, this is Thomas' paraphrase, every day this side of Jesus. Every day since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, every day since then are the end times, the last days. Because of that, Jesus himself was not just a sacrifice one time for all time in a salvific sense, in a salvation sense, as in no more sacrifices of bulls and goats and, and doves and all that. But he is the sacrifice, meaning the ultimate sign of God's redemption one time for all time. In the Old Testament, there were many, many signs, many, many prophets that would speak of. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, which means make full, by the way, not abolish or not get rid of, but made full, not only the Old Testament, but the Old Testament prophets tradition, and transition that into God's rescue plan, God's redemption plan, God's uh, renewal of creation, and became the ultimate sign of that very thing. And what more ultimate sign is there than something coming? God incarnate, God himself, and overcoming death, the death which, as we talked about a little bit last week, is dehumanizing us. God is the ultimate human, the ideal human, what we were always meant to be, coming and dying, but yet overcoming that death, being renewed to eternal life, which is now then the fate of all those who believe, baptized, and are trusting in Jesus. That's our premise. That's the end times, Jesus being the ultimate sign. So the question is, how are we as a church supposed to act in these end times? Because the, what I started out with is that many people are interpreting 
COVID, the race and ethnic tensions, even the wildfires I saw here in the West Coast as end time events, as meaning the world's coming to an end, you must repent, you must repent, this is the sign, and that's bad theology. I'm just going to be blunt. It's bad theology. We don't interpret these signs because the ultimate sign is Jesus, and anything that's interpreted outside of Jesus goes somewhere where Jesus and the Bible and God don't. So therefore we interpret everything through Jesus, Jesus being the ultimate sign in these days, every day since the cross. So we looked at what are some of the ways that we are to act. Well, we talked about three things the first week, which is to be present in the world, to be aware of what's going on, to realize that God is not just waiting for us uh, to, to do something or waiting, you know, God is, is present and made manifest and made known through the current events that are going on. When we sit back and go, God, I can't wait for you to do something, we're missing God working around us. And we know that that is important, not just in the sense of God is, is out there and we might be missing, but God has always worked with his people, which we then expounded upon a little bit in the next week, keeping in mind that Jesus is the center of every way we interpret these things. We pray is our first and best response, not just in response and for the events or whatever's going on, but when we pray, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer a little bit, when we pray, we begin our conversation with God about whatever's going on. If you're married, if you have a best friend or a roommate even, and there's an issue, you start it by saying, we need to talk about this, and we focus our attention on it, and we begin to, to, to converse and to, and to begin to solve the problem. That's what prayer does. Prayer also then refreshes and refocuses our heart and minds toward the subject of the prayer, gives us new insights as we begin to have that conversation with God, and also then it initiates God work. And here's the big thing I want you to understand and remember from that second week. It doesn't initiate always God's work in whatever's going on. The prayer initiates God's work in and through us, His people through whom he always works, which is sometimes then how people see God in the midst of present circumstances because God's people who are doing his will, working with and through him, are being present, addressing the needs of the now. And so the whole point was that we must be a penitent prayer, in penitent prayer, intentional prayer, in present prayer, at the world that the at the place that the world is in pain. Last week we looked briefly at Romans 8, 28. We looked at the sense of the groaning in Romans 8 in the sense that that sometimes God has no word sometimes the spirit has no words to what's going on and we'll revisit that here actually in just a second and so we I, I preach that to say that when we don't know what's going on and we don't have any words to say and we just go God that's okay the second thing we have to realize that Romans 8 teaches us is the fact that the word that in Romans 8:28 that works that God works for good all things for those as sometimes it's translated the word synergeo means work together which is better translated God works with his people for good through all things even through suffering even through no matters what's going on the third thing we looked at last week was that according to whose purpose well we know that's God's purpose but it's not necessarily the purpose for the people but it's the purpose through God's people this goes back and starts to connect everything 
God works with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The purpose of what? In prayer, God working with and through his people in the present events so that he may be revealed and that God's people may in the midst and in the process of the work may be more like him but also that God may be seen by those who don't know him yet. It all works together. And this is a bit about what it means to be an end times church. One of my whole points, and I'll just give a spoiler alert right now, and I'll address this a little bit later too, is that when we look out and we see crazy stuff going on, horrible stuff going on, we don't throw up our hands and go, ah, the world's ending, nor do we simply sit back and go, God, you help those people. But what it means to be an end times church is to realize that we need to be present with the world's pain, need to be involved with the injustices, need to be involved with the pain, with the hurt, with what's going on, and that is then how God will be made known, as well as how God transforms us into the image of his Son. In fact, that's how Romans 8 continues. And I didn't touch on that last week, because uh, I was a bit conscientious for time, but actually that's how Romans 8 continues, and if you continue this line of thought, that it's that God is working with his people, through them for his purpose. The next verse, for those he me foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that the firstborn among might be first that they blew them, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is that talking about? It's talking about that through God working with you and in you and by you, you become like Jesus. You become more fully human as we take our eyes off the distractions, the idols of the world, and focus on God's purpose who God is in our lives. This is deep stuff. It's interesting stuff. But it's also not that... I don't want to be patronizing, but it's, it's, not, it's not that hidden. It's, it's obvious if you think of it in a sense, but what I want to accomplish by this series is do we think of things that way? Do we think of things when we see things going on in the world? Do we go, oh... Now this is the time for the church to spur into action, or do we go, holy cow, hmm, actually, I've always thought that's a weird, uh, side note, I've always thought holy cow is a weird uh, exclamation, especially for a minister, and I say it all the time, and I'm critiquing myself because a holy cow is what the Israelites thought whenever they made the golden calf, and we saw how that turned out. So, I don't know what the right, well, holy temple, I don't know. I forgot what I was saying. I went off on the rabbit trail and I totally forgot. Oh, I know. <laughs> when we see stuff going on, do we go, oh no, the world's going to end, get ready. Oh no, God, you better go do something. Or do we go, now is the time for the church to act. Now is the time that the world can see who God is. Now is the time that we need to be who we need to be. And I'm not saying that we all need to haul off and and. and build sandbags and floods. I'm not saying we need to go off and, and rebuild houses, although that's good. There's a lot of application between 
who you are now and doing stuff like that. And that's what, what I'm not going to talk about today, but what you need to be thinking of. And actually, what a wonderful segue. Because even if all that we talked about is true, what do we do now in the midst of craziness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of strife, in the midst of anger? I have noticed in the last few weeks many people's frustration and anger and impatience with COVID or with the fire, fires and just 2020 in general. A lot of people are getting more angry at this. I wish things would just settle down and we can have a break. Or well, why is this still going on? I know people who are, who are getting tired and angry of the political climate. I'm, there are people still debating whether COVID is a hoax or whether it's overblown or whether it's... And I'm not going to address any of that. I'm just saying there's these tensions out there. There is pain and sorrow from people who have succumbed to the disease, from people who have lost businesses, from people who have been displaced by wildfires, from people who are still hurting, who feel like the racial injustices keep mounting and there is nothing being said. There's a lot of junk out there. So what now? What do we do? At the risk of sounding soft, and many of you out there may not like this response, and there are people I'm thinking of in the church all over the country who will not like this response, but it's appropriate to join the world in however it's feeling. It's appropriate to grieve. It's appropriate to be in sorrow. It's appropriate to to understand anger, it's appropriate for us to get angry ourselves. It's appropriate for us to feel and to be okay with however we feel about what's going on, as long as we don't stay there, but that's a whole other that's that's we're getting there. It's appropriate to grieve. It's appropriate to be groaning and not know what to say. There's a poem that one of my favorite scholars quotes fairly often that I've taken to heart in particularly sorrowful and lamenting moments. It's by T.S. Eliot from East Coker. It's part of the Quartet of the, uh, the Quartet of the Four Seasons. And it goes like this. He writes, I said to my soul, be still, and let the dark come upon you, which shall be the darkness of God. I said to my soul, be still, and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. Yet there is faith, but the faith and the hope and the love are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not yet ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. What he's in essence saying there is that it's okay not to have answers, and this is applicable to any situation. It's okay not to have 
answers for what's going on, for why we feel this way, for what comes next. It's okay not to have answers. We still don't have a lot of answers when it comes to COVID. Yes, we are returning to our building, but we don't know what this is going to look like. We don't know our numbers. I don't know how many people, honestly, from our congregation are still watching. Or we'll be there. I don't know what our numbers are going to look like in a year. We don't know when COVID's going to be over, quote-unquote. There are so many answers we don't know. And for some, it gives us great angst we, to not have the answers. And what we learn is that sometimes we have to live there. And sometimes we just have to admit that, you know what, we don't know. We know this stinks. We know this is terrible. We know this isn't right. We know this is bad. But we don't know anything past that. You know, there's... We tend to want to say to each other, especially in times of, of hardship or grief, you need to be strong. You need to be strong and get past it. And you're right, I think. We do need to be strong. We need to be strong like Jesus. As he came, as he came by the tomb of Lazarus and saw Mary and Martha weeping, and he wept. We need that kind of strength to admit that even though we know ultimately, yes, like Jesus did, how long, uh, ultimately how things will turn out, and unlike Jesus, how long it will take and the methodology, it's okay to be strong, to be present. And to say, this is fill in the blank. We need to be strong like God. Who is Genesis 6 6 talks about? He looked at mankind and was grieved that he had made mankind. And there are several of the verses in the Psalms, in Chronicles, in Kings, in the Prophets that talk about how people grieved God's Spirit. Ephesians talks about how we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that He doesn't grieve over what happens in His creation. God's sovereignty does not mean that there are things that still don't happen that he would not have happen. Well, God is in control, you must say. He's given humans free agency. And that means that there are things that happen all the time, which is not what God wants. It's just what causes his groanings. We must be strong, like God and like Jesus. And that dog... Who wants to join in? Thank you for breaking the tension. <laughs> the thing is, we also have to realize, though, is that while God 
is able to be grieved, even though he's not never he's never caught off guard by what we do. He's never surprised and be like, oh, I never saw that coming. What we do grieves him. It's like you know I I experienced that already as a as a parent because I see my kids about to do something and I say I I know what's gonna happen because I know my children and they do it and I go oh man. Just because God is sovereign and in control, ultimately, and knows what's going on, doesn't mean he's not grieved. But the thing is, we also have to realize is that, in spite of that, in spite of knowing how Adam and Moses and Abraham and every one of the Old Testament characters would turn out, God always had chosen and does choose humans to work in and through in his world. Now think what an amazing thing that is. God knows that we're going to mess up. God knows that we're going to stink it up. God knows that we're going to create problems and situations and things in this world which he's going to go, oh, guys. <laughs> but yet he still had chosen in the beginning and continues to choose to work with and through us, which means God knew and knows the consequences of working in and through humans, and yet does anyway. I think even just that ought to give us a sign, very intentionally chosen word, into our vocation into how we respond. It's not throwing our hands up and going, God, this world is messed up. Do something about it. God knows. Goodness sakes, God knows. Nor is it God go to fix it because he's going, yeah, you and I need to work on things. Because God knew how things would turn out and he still chooses to work in and through his creation, through us. So how do we interpret and what do we do about everything going on? Well, it's not, as I said, I'll use this term, freak out about things and cause it to be the end of the world and to hold up and to, and to retreat and to, and to just wait to see what's going to happen. In these times of still locked doors and locked church buildings and such, we can reflect on another time in which a group of people were isolated from the rest of their community and had locked the doors and didn't know what to do. In John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so, I am sending you. 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. As the Father has sent me, he said to those scared, uncertain people, quarantined behind a locked door, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You see, the church's response in these times of uncertainty and these times of injustice and these times of chaos and horror and fear is not to retreat and to wait for God to fix it all. But these times are the church's mandate just as Jesus came into Israel and the world to show who God was. Now is the time for the church in the midst of the chaos and of the destruction of creation which the evil principalities and powers have wrought. Now is the time for the church as Jesus did to show the people who God is to show people that yes in the midst of these times in the midst of these things in the midst of everything going wrong there is redemption there is new creation there is God's creation still here still working and still coming The world and other Christians, honestly, in the midst of everything going wrong, need to see that there is not everything going wrong, but yet in the midst of such things, they need to see that, yes, even in the midst of now, there are signs of new creation. There are signs of rejuvenation. There are signs of new eternal life that is indicative of what ultimately will be. Although it's not here yet, when is it going to be here yet? We don't know, but we know we are redeemed. We know that we are, from 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new creation in Christ. The world needs to see that too. In essence, and I leave you as the closing bit of this whole series with this psalm. Psalm 72, we read a wonderful charge, if you will, for the church, no matter when the times are. In Psalm 72, it says, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, and may the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children and of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. What a commission. 
in the early days of the church, when plagues would hit, the doctors, the well-to-do people, the uh, wealthy class, those who could afford to leave, would leave. And the Christians would stay behind to care for the sick. Some of them would die too. Some of them would go to the worst parts of the city to help those. In fact, one of the Roman emperors complained <laughs> about the fact that Christians were doing so much good because he was trying to get rid of the Christians. Christianity historically has always driven those who claim it to go to the midst of pain. Hospitals and schools have formed by Christians where no one else would draw them because Christians knew that that was the way to help the needy, help the poor, help the children. Charities and benefit programs of society have almost always come, in many ways, from Christians because they knew the charge to help those in need, to help the poor, to help the sick. As we transition, transition from locked church doors to now more open church doors, we need to remember that the church building was never the place that we needed to get back into. We must always remember that the world is waiting for signs of new creation is waiting for signs that God exists, is waiting for people to enter their world, to be present with them, and for them to see in those people something they've been searching all along, comfort and peace and justice and hope. What is the mission of the End Times Church? Well, right there from John 20. As Jesus was to Israel, a light unto their path, the sign of new creation, so the church continues to be to the world. It means, brothers and sisters, that wherever there is pain, we must speak into it and be there to comfort, not run away and retreat. It means that where there is injustice, yes, we must speak into it, righteousness. It means that where are they that are oppressed, where there are needy, we must be. It means that wherever there needs be the light of God, we must go. Hopefully you're going, well, that's no different than what I already knew. That's exactly the point. The end times church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Not just in theory and not just academically and not just, oh, that'd be nice if. Church, brothers and sisters, we need to do it. How do we do it? My prayer 
by engaging in the conversation with God, by listening and being stirred to action, by realizing that God, the way he has always worked, and he works in ways that we can't, and that's God's ways, but in all the other ways, he works with his people, through his people, for the good, through them for his purpose which is purpose is to speak to people in the present moment in the midst of their pain or anger or injustice however they're feeling to show them who he is and to show them how to be truly human how to be truly alive how to be truly eternal and have eternal life that's our mission church it's never changed do we acknowledge what's going on? Yes. And we speak into it and we run towards it. Is that scary? Sure. Is it hard? Yeah. Are the details to work out? Oh yeah, there always are. <laughs> That's our job. To be as Jesus was. To continue to be as Jesus was. Because Jesus is through us. I pray that as we consider some of this, that we begin to think about how we can address some of the needs, the pain, the sorrows around us in our own spheres. I know many of us are not ready to, to go as it was be, you know, before COVID. And maybe, just maybe for some of you, it might begin with even just asking, do I even know God? Do I even know his son? Am I even in this church, this kingdom? It's a good question worth asking and I do invite you to crack open your Bible contact me or one of our elders and ask some questions I do invite you to come to him through faith repentance baptism and start this life of bringing new creation into the world but for the rest of us to realize as Christians the church is never a place that we retreat to whether it be in community or whether it be in building. The church is the place which we spring into action from. In prayer, from prayer, as God's workers, to be present with the world. I don't know what the next couple weeks will hold. But I do know as always, as I said before, it's been my privilege to preach to you in this way. I pray that you've gotten a few things out of it. And I will admit, I will miss this to an extent. I pray this series has been beneficial to you. And I pray it stirs us to faith, to prayer, and to asking the question of who I can be in the midst of an end times church lord willing we will see you next week from the building but until then i bid you a very honored and heartfelt good day and grace to you <laughs>